Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Doing it on two different days. You get some people that can't make it on Sundays, but they can yeah. make it on Wednesdays. Some people can't make it on Wednesdays. They can make it on Sundays. Uh, so just more destination chill. So I'm excited just to keep talking about what we talk about, especially in the off season, because there's literally just constant things to talk about, speculate about, guess about. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I'm excited for it. What a segue. Guess about, talk about, you know, that that's a great segue because we just got a uh, got a comment in here. Uh, Toronto Dave, he hit the nail on the head, right? Rookie season, baby. And Scott, yep. just a few minutes before we went live on the stream, something happened uh, revolving regarding the combine. Prize Picks dropped their combine props, the 40-yard dash time props, for some of the prospects. And you have not seen these numbers, have you? You haven't seen any of these numbers. All right. I've not seen a thing. Nope. So I want to get your reaction to some of the, the listed times for some of these skill position players and just – your overall thoughts about what these players could run, okay? So the first one, I'm going to give you a little bit of an easy one. You are a Kentucky Wildcat fan. So what do you think about this 40-yard dash prop that Prize Picks has up? Put it on the screen. Devin Leary, over or under or more or less than a 4.75 40-yard dash for your starting quarterback, Devin Leary. Is he faster than 4.75 or is this one you wouldn't touch? Truthfully, if I had to go, if I had to pick a side here, I'd yep. actually go. He's faster than four seven five. Okay, all right, all right. If you and, and let me let me say this before we start. This ain't no officials. Don't 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 put your rent money on this. We're just kind of conversing and talking through what some of these times are. All right, here's the one that blew me away, Scott. I, when I saw this time, literally blew me away. And I'm not going to tell you how much money I've already unloaded on this. Uh, so it's either going to be a great day on Saturday for me or an awful day. But what say you about this time for Michigan running back Blake Corum? Four, three, nine. And just for comparison standpoint, that is uh, faster than Lad McConkey, faster than Brian Thomas Jr., three tenths of a second behind Romo Dunze, who's at a four, three, six. Blake Corm, four three nine forty. Man, this this feels like it's Blake Corm going back to when he was like eighteen. I don't know, man. It's no way. I don't think he's running a four four. I'd, I'd go. Over. I'd go sub over. Easy. sub four four. Sub, you know how yeah, fast easy. four three nine is. Blake Corm, yeah, for for a running back, that's fast. Uh, uh, yeah, no uh, way, no way. I I I would even say, is there a chance he runs? Is sub four five even like that's where I would have said four five four five five. I, I mean four three nine thing. is for, ridiculous. For Blake Corm, if he ran a four six one, I'd be like, all right, that's that's about Blake Corm, and I wouldn't care because that's not his that's not his game, right? But four three nine, that's pretty crazy. All right, I got I got two more for you that I thought were just sort of again. I can't believe these guys were posted and listed that where they were. Got Troy Franklin at a 4-3-6. I think that's appropriate. I probably wouldn't touch that. But here goes one right here. Here goes one. Georgia wide receiver Lad McConkey, 4-5-8. Almost a 4-6 for Lad McConkey. Hmm. You know what? I, my initial inclination would have say to go under, but... I could also see him being one of those guys that just isn't like 40 speed isn't as much as you would think by watching him on the field. So, you know what? I think I think this is pretty 
pretty right there. I might say I would probably bet under just because I'm one I of those suckers. I'm one of the last. suckers that I'm rooting for the under, so I'm going to bet the under. But there's a reason that it's what it is, and it's not 4-5-2. You know what I mean? All right, last one. Another running back. It's, it's fantasy football. we got to go running backs here. Another running back. This running back is a big boy. Big running back. And one of the fastest posted times for the running back position. Wisconsin's running back, Braylon Allen, 4-4 flat for Braylon Allen. Hmm. I'll just so say which the mean, amateur. Which means he's got to be 4-4 or 4-3-9. He's got to be like a 4-3-9. 4-4, 4-3-9. The amateur highlight watcher that I am, does it when I guess my perception of Braylon Al is it takes him a little while to get going. So a four four is fast, I think. Especially what's he gonna weigh in at? Two thirty? You, you know what I mean? Like if he runs a sub four four, the hype on that would be I mean, cause you start putting him up there profile wise. I mean, we're I know you've talked about this. I've heard it mentioned on no less than a half a dozen shows over the last two weeks. Everyone loves him because he's young. You and I do not give a shit about the age of a running back coming in anymore, right? But it can't hurt mm-hmm. if the community likes a running back because he's young. But can you imagine the speed scores of Braylon Allen if he's speed score of Braylon Allen if he's sub four four at two twenty nine or whatever it is, and the fact that he's going to be twenty years old? I mean, yeah, I mean, he'd be if he runs sub four four. I mean, the Wisconsin bias, the age, everything. The speed score, he's RB1. I think I think people people are waiting to find out, to really put a stamp on RB1. Doesn't it just, even though Jonathan Brooks seems to be the consensus, doesn't it feel a little dirty to have an, a running back at RB1 that's coming into the NFL with a knee injury that was not a, he, he wasn't a prolific college rusher. He was good this past season, but I don't look at Jonathan Brooks and say, He's got the career pedigree to where it doesn't matter. It feels a little dirty to have him there. So if Braylon Allen does go out there, which I hope he doesn't for the sake of my wallet, goes out there and runs a sub 4-4 or 4-4, I mean, he's going to be RB1 in the class probably, Scott. But that's enough prize picks. I encourage everybody to go on there, take a look. It's it's interesting. Some of the times and the players and how they how they come up with this stuff is uh, pretty interesting, Scott. But... Let's talk about your um, favorite position, the tight end group, before we get to Mel's mock, the tight end group. And I want to preface this by saying we talk a lot. In the Destination Debbie Discord, in the Trades and Five Discord, we're just talking about fantasy football, theory, concepts, positions, all the damn time. And a couple of nights ago, we had a conversation to what, midnight, 1 a.m., Scott, where we were talking about the future of the tight end position, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, what do you do with the Laportas, the McBrides, the Kincaids? How high do you take these guys? What is their theoretical ceiling and upside for fantasy football purposes? And, hey, man, the conversation got hot. Conversation was heated in a positive, constructive way. But we were talking about this, Scott, and one of the things that I think we do too often is we are comparing – these young first and second year tight ends. And I don't think, I, I, I truly don't think we all, everybody in the stream, whoever's watching this after the fact, I don't think we really understand. Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight end in NFL history. He is the best player to ever play that position. And not just how good he's been on the field, but the fact that he's been on the field every single game outside of his rookie season, unless it was, I, I think this was the first year he missed the game due to injury, you know, since his, since it, besides the Kansas City Chiefs holding him out for whatever playoff reasons, but his level of consistency, and here we are trying to, I'm looking for the next Kelsey. I don't think Laporta or Kincaid can be the next Kelsey. That's literally like comparing Victor Wimbenyama today to Michael Jordan. Nice, young, talented rookie. Oh, he'll, he, he ain't better than Mike. I don't want he's never going to be better than Mike. Like, why? Just talk to me about this position and how much Travis Kelsey in particular has skewed our view on the tight end position. Because this was a player going into this season at 32 years old, people were taking a second round of damn startups. 
he was going 104, 105 in, in redraft underdog leagues. So we, I, I just think that I almost want to remove him from all tight end conversations. You know, when, you, when they say you do the SATs, they throw out the highest score. and the, He's the greatest ever. And to compare a, a rookie, a second-year player, any damn tight end to him or have the level of expectation that that player should or could or might produce to that level is probably a foolish exercise. Yeah, I mean, and we had a... Uh... We were supposed to record a show and we ended up spending four hours talking about tight ends and where's the landscape going. But it, it turned into an interesting discussion, which I think is going to probably be good for the, the listeners, the viewers, the subscribers to the site, because we're probably going to dive a little bit deeper yes. into tight end because of that conversation. Uh, but I brought some data for us. So I just went back 10 years. I don't want to go back any further than that. But I think 10 years going back since 2014, Right, there have been 16 tight end seasons since 2014 that have hit 15 or more points per game. Okay, so not a ton, right? Just 15 or more PPR points per game. And if you look back at this season, so 2023, for reference to that, Kelsey led the league at 14.6, and it was like his sixth worst season of his career, or his sixth best season of his career, I should say. So right there, you get in comparison to where his 2023 was, in relation to his career, right? And then you get everybody below him, Hawk, Laporta, Ingram, Kittle, Andrews, etc. But if we just start there, of those 16 seasons that have been over 15 points per game, Kelsey, six of them. Okay, Kelsey, the only guy ever to hit 18 or more points per game, did it twice. The only guy to hit 20 points per game did that once on top of the two 18-point-per-game seasons. Now, of those other 16 seasons, two, three of them were Gronk. And this was like the second half of Gronk too, right? So three of those were Gronk. Surprisingly, Ray, three of them were Kittle. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to look back at Kittle and go, had the situation been a little bit better, he might have been one of the others in this same conversation. So I think you can almost pull him into the, the mix of, if you're chasing the next Gronk, Kelsey or even Kittle, you're probably chasing something that is going to be hard to find, right? The expectation, if it's you have to be that, that's what I need, probably not going to be something that you're going to find that often. But if you remove all of those, look at some of the other names. I think where we can kind of find some, some headway here is looking at all of the other seasons and what made up those seasons. And that's what we're going to dive into a little bit more. At least I'm going to dive into that, probably do a Destination Dynasty on tight ends just because I'm now interested in diving a little bit deeper into it. But I think we can look at all those other seasons. We remove the Gronk years. We remove the Kelsey years. We even remove a couple of those Kittle years. What else did it, an elite tight end season look like? Mm. Just some of the other random ones that fired. The Mark Andrews outlier year. The Zach Ertz outlier year. The Darren Waller outlier year. Uh, do you remember that Austin Hooper outlier year, Ray? Oh, man. Remember that did one? I? Oh, uh, did I? I thought I had the next thing, baby. Yeah, a couple others, random. Gary Barnage, Tyler Eifert, Delaney Walker, Jordan Reed. Those are the other names that have hit that 15 points per game. But then where we kind of got onto this conversation about the future of the tight end position was, okay, Laporta hit 14 as a rookie. Mm -hmm. A rookie, right? So now I think the question is, and I, I'm curious what the audience thinks on this too. The question is, how do you project a guy like Laporta to go forward? And then it gets into the conversations about the dot, the quarterback, the offensive yes. scheme, the size and stuff. We kind of have looked at that stuff as does it matter as much more? <clears throat> your, your hypothesis, I'll let you add into that, that it probably is more about how a guy's being deployed and how he's being used Correct. versus whether he's traditional tight end size. But mm -hmm. my hypothesis is this. If you looked at last year, I think we can probably say two things could be true going forward. One, I think you're going to see tight ends come into the league quicker and produce quicker. We've already started to see that. But I also think the way the NFL is designed today that you're going to have more guys being able to produce in this I don't know, call it 11 to 12, 13 points per game. Look at the ones last year, right? What did all these teams, what did all these guys have in common? Dalton Schultz, Jake Ferguson, Evan Ingram. All three of those guys, you can argue for a good majority of the year, what were they? One of the top two targets on their team? Correct. 
right? They were also with decent quarterbacks. quarterbacks. None of those were with a quarterback where you go, they're bad. You know what I mean? Well, you didn't find a Desmond Ritter tight end on there anywhere or a Zach Wilson tight end. Decent quarterbacks. So I don't think that takes much more than that to hit that you're a top 10, top 8, top 6 tight end. The real key is if you're searching for Laporta or McBride or Bowers to be, damn, when's he going to give me that? You look at the three-year war average in most leagues and you, you see that Kelsey way at the top, right? Is it fair to say that we're, we may not see another graph that looks like that that frequently going forward? And I think that's the big debate we have is how much more can a guy like Laporta do? I don't, I don't disagree. He's really good. But to sit there and say, yeah, give him one, two more years and he's going to be start to hit that 18, 19 points per game, I think, I think we're way so, out on the limb doing so, that. So I'm going to disagree with you, Scott, and we'll dive deeper into this. I think my theory... My theory is I think there is truly an outlier predictor sort of thing in my mind, right? Because when you look at Travis Kelsey, he didn't come into the NFL smashing. Let me just give you what happened in Travis Kelsey's career because most people don't understand this. Year one, 87 targets. Year two, 100 targets. Year three, 117. Year four, he got 123 targets. It wasn't until year five he eclipsed that 130 target. You need these tight ends to get about 135, 140 targets if you're looking for one of those true game-changing seasons. It took until year five for him to get that 150, and when he got 150 targets, he blew up. Over 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and the rest was history. But what happened was... He was consistently good enough to earn and increase his target share, even if it was just incrementally. And when I'm looking at a player like Sam Laporta, the fact that in year one he already earned 123 targets, let's just say for the sake of the argument next year he gets 120, but somehow he gets some longer runs. He's got 950 yards, but the touchdowns come down from 10 to 7. That's back-to-back years of 100-plus targets, 800-something yards, I think you're looking for that level of consistency from that position, and you should. If if the elevator and the progression and the trajectory of the player continues to rise, you're probably going to be in line for some monster seasons down the line, byproduct of a quarterback change in Detroit. Wide, what happens if let's everybody right now, all 165 of you, hit the thumbs up button and knock on wood. What if something happened to Amon Ross St. Brown in the season and they're forced to go to him? That's how you, it's not, I don't think it's as difficult to find the outlier, especially on situations and teams where that tight end is the second target earner. And that's what Sam Laporta is in the Detroit offense. And he earned that year one. So for me, that level of 800 yard, 900 yard, 850, if they can continue to do that on a consistent basis, I'd venture to say that inside of that career arc, you're going to have some outlier monster seasons just like Mark Andrews. Because Mark Andrews historically has been about an 800 to 900-yard receiver when on the field. But in that one season where he got 150 targets, he blew up, smashed, and went nuclear. So that's just that's just my theory around the tight end position. I don't think it's as hard to find as people make it seem. And when you've got bets like that, you know, do you want to hold that asset? Do you want to cash out? You know, that's that's up to the individual manager. But we've talked a lot about tight ends. Anything you want to say before we get into the mock and talk about some of these rookies? No, but I think you're you're on to something with I think if we probably dove a little bit deeper and kind of looked at some of the Trinity metrics, but also looked at some of the things you were talking about, because I've, I've noticed the difference if you just filter by and this is something that I'll talk about on Destination Dynasty. I kind of want to go through and just lay all of this stuff out but if you start looking at the differences between some of these like difference making seasons and just the hey jake ferguson gave me 12 points per game that's solid but it's also very replaceable but you could also argue with a guy like schultz or ferguson you could put 20 other talents in the league in those situations and they could do the same thing so it's not so much the player versus the situation in those cases but i think if you look at those seasons in the historical results. The big difference, it, the yardage is huge. You notice those nuclear seasons, the seasons that were really, really good, the target volumes there, like the targets per game, it's at least eight targets a game, right around that range minimum. 
Okay. Which I think we can probably go through and look at target data and probably figure out which tight ends are better than others that drawing targets. But I'm also curious if anyone's done the research on are tight end targets earned like receiver targets are, right? What's your hypothesis on that? And then I'll finish my point. I don't want to dive too much into I think it. So. But I think, you so. think there's a difference between a tight end earning a target and a receiver earning a target. Or are they more yes. scheme quarterback based? No, I, I when the tight end gets the ball, the coach drew the play up for the tight end. The tight end is okay. normally not your number one outlet as the quarterback as a dump off option. Um if if they're getting the ball, they're running those dig routes, those deep crossers, they're being schemed up. And with and with that position, they are targeted so at a fewer clip than the wide receiver. If they're gonna, if you're going to get it, you better be able. You can't be dropping the damn ball. You got to be able to capitalize on those opportunities. So I do believe I they might be earned even more than receiver. Because check this out, every team's got one pass catching tight end. Normally, there ain't two of those guys out there. It's one guy. It's one. True. So you better do your damn job when I'm putting you in the routes. But Scott, no more tight end talk. We've been literally talking about it for the last 72 hours. I want to talk some mock draft and a couple of updates from the chat since we started the stream. Blake Corm's line has been moved from 439 to 441. They have pulled cornerback Nate Wiggins, who was listed at a 455, probably the most egregious time on there. Also, Lad McConkey's 458 was removed from the prize picks board. Gone are those guys. I don't know if they've been removed. Uh, but hopefully you got a chance to get a couple of those in. I still see Chop Robinson on here at 461, which seems uh, a little egregious as well. I would be taking the less on Chop Robinson, Scott. But let's talk about old Melly Mel, Mel Kuyper. And we're going to talk through it. We're going to look at the mock. But mainly, I just want to talk about the sentiment of these players going into this weekend when we're thinking about the combine and how dynasty managers are going to react to these players this weekend. So... Let's pull up the board. Here we go. Mel Kuyper, 101. Scott, Chicago Bears taking Caleb Williams. It, it, this seems like a foregone conclusion at this point. I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about Caleb Williams. If you don't want to, it, it, it just seems like this is a foregone conclusion. My question, though, is Fields landing spot, minus 200 on DraftKings to the Atlanta Falcons. What does that do for his dynasty value if he's traded to Atlanta? I think it increases his ADV. I don't know if it's all that great or any better than what it's been. And I don't know how much better it is for the weapons, honestly. I mean, speaking of tight ends, we were talking about Kyle Pitts earlier. I mean, I'm not sure he's much better if he has Justin Fields as his QB versus some of the other options. But I think it's just that landing spot everybody's wanted. Uh, I have a buddy who's out in Atlanta, and he's a huge Falcons person. He's a Georgia alum. Pretty connected with the Atlanta scene in terms of the Falcons and the vibe and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, that city is starving for somebody like Justin Fields. So I think from that regard, just the the general consensus, it would create a lot of ADV if you have Fields. I mean, this you is got, the time. If you, want, if you want out, this is the window because I think that's you got the dream 10 spot. Fields. You got 10 field shares across your portfolio. What percentage are you keeping? What percentage are you, are you moving? Man. With what I think the value will be if he goes to Atlanta, yes. I'd move yes. seven of them, seven or eight. Okay, a good majority, more than I would keep. Let's just okay. say that. All right, there. Uh, let, let's talk about these two in particular. So the Washington Commanders, Mel's got Jaden Daniels, quarterback out of LSU, going to the Washington Commanders, and then Drake May, quarterback out of North Carolina, going to the New England Patriots. Let's start with Drake May because for whatever reason, over the past week. I haven't. I've seen a lot, a lot of people souring on May, and I'm not sure why. I, I'm seeing this, Scott, and I'll just tell you honestly, I'm not buying it. I am still very much in on this quarterback. If you know anything about North Carolina's team, I mean, it was literally Drake May, Omarion Hampton, and nothing else around them. Like, I mean, I don't understand the narrative. There were some comparisons to Mason Rudolph, and you know, this could be the Will Levis. Just this is the one that's starting to feel like he could he could slide amongst the fantasy space, but I, I'm not buying it. I still think he's going to end up being a top five pick, even if Washington prefers Jaden Daniels over Drake May. But just Drake May, the narrative around him right now, and how are you feeling about him for Superflex? 
we had a long conversation about Drake May, and it feels like right now, if you were forcing people to make decisions, they feel a little queasy if they're at that pick where, let's say you're sitting at the 105, right? You're kind of thinking, man, I'm going to get either a quarterback or I'm going to get Malik Neighbors. But doesn't it kind of feel like that's probably more like Drake May at this point? Like the, the community is starting to sour on him where – I think people are starting to push May and J.J. McCarthy into a, a tier below the other four players. Yep. Daniels, Caleb, and the two receivers versus May. I mean, for so long he was talked about, you know, he's going to be in that top two or top three. But it's not just fantasy people. I mean, I've listened to quite a few pods, and they've they've really nitpicked on Nate Drake Bay. Nate Tice, Mike Renner. I mean, people that the Kurt Banker breakdown that's gone viral on Twitter. I mean, there's been yeah. numerous people pointing out some of the flaws. Uh, and a lot of times he gets the natural comparison. Who's the guy they always compare Sam him to? Howe. Right? Sam Howe. Well, there's uh, Justin Herbert. Okay. Right? Herbert. That's the comparison. And it's every single person. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not as good. But then I remember Justin Herbert coming out and people didn't think it wasn't he was that like, good. Yeah. It wasn't. He was some locked and loaded man, can't miss prospect. I mean, he went, he look where he went in his own draft class, right? So I think that's revisionist history to say, well, yes. he's not Justin Herbert because of what Justin Herbert is right now. But I do think this landing spot right here, if he does go to the Patriots, I, I'm actually kind of hoping he slides, which means the perception falls a little bit, but he goes to a different spot. I, people aren't going to like the Patriots, even though we have to be open-minded to the Patriots as do we have any clue what the Patriots are going to Zero. be? Nobody has a damn clue. We, yeah, Nobody. we don't know how we, we don't know if they're going to run things exactly like they have, or if it's going to be a totally different vibe. So I'm more open-minded than I think the community would be on this landing spot at three. He's going to get the capital, but he goes there. It's going to be, man, he's Zach Wilson. You know, it's not going to work out. Bad spot. Don't want him. I, I think you'll get people taking a Dunze and Bowers over him because they're that scared. And then I think so, too. If, if they're wrong, you're going to look back and go, ugh, wish I would have taken would you that have, QB. You know? Would you have the, the stones to take um, in a super flex? Would you have the stones to take Malik or Odunze over him? And let's just assume both of those dudes are top eight picks and they land in. You know, in Mel's mock, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s uh, in Arizona. You've got Odunze to the Giants, and then you've got Malik Neighbors to the Bears, paired up with Caleb Williams. Is there is there a world in which you take one of those two receivers or both of them over Drake May in New England? Yeah, I think right now I would take Neighbors over Drake May pretty much regardless of where Drake May goes, just because Agreed. the steam on Malik Neighbors. Like you, you can you're you're legitimately debating Malik Neighbors against Puka, AJ Brown, Garrett Wilson. Like that's where he's already starting, and he's the second receiver in his class. But like he's already there. So knowing my dynasty economy, hard hard to use a pick on a guy that I know there's people out there that are already doubting. Versus as soon as I have Neighbors, especially if he goes to the Bears and they have Caleb, I mean it. That, that's a locked-in pick. He he jumps. He may even jump Daniels, honestly, right? There'll be people that I'm not I, messing with J Jaden Daniels. He's a little too small. The, I don't I don't trust the I don't trust what Cliff is, what, and uh, and 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 Dan Quinn. Uh, there are people who are a little the, worried uh, about Jaden. What's the big knock on Jaden? I was listening to it earlier. It's the um he has the highest pressure to sack ratio of like any quarterback that's come into the league in the last five years. So when he's pressured. Like he's getting sacked, you know what I mean? And like projecting that forward, he also has a high sack rate as well. So he's getting, I mean, kind of like the fields problem that he had the first couple of years, right? Just getting sacked at 30% rate when he drops back. And then when he's pressured, you'd think he'd be able to get out of more of it, but I, I don't know. But those things kind of scare me. And just there's enough around Jaden Daniels to where you and I like him. I understand the shot or the upside, but I can see people going, I'm not messing with these QBs. I've been burned. Yep. I can go get myself a Jared Goff. Yep. Give me Malik yep. Neighbors because he's a top yep. eight receiver already. Let me just go get Baker Mayfield, some random quarterback. Let me get the short. Th I okay. So Jaden Daniels in this mock goes to the commander. So let's just say hypothetically, Caleb, Jaden, May goes to New England like Mel has here. You got Marvin Harrison Jr., to Arizona. I don't really want to talk about this at all, Scott. I'll, I'll nope, just say all chalk. it's all chalk. chalk. It's a, it's it. Yeah. 
Latham, we're not going to talk about an offensive lineman. Good for the Chargers. Odunze to the Giants. You got Joe Alt to Tennessee, Dallas Turner to the Falcons, but Malik Neighbors to the Chicago Bears. I think there's a real shot. If if the draft played out this way, even in Superflex, you can see receivers come off of the board 2-3-4. Legitimately. You, it could be Caleb Williams or Marvin Harrison Jr., then Caleb, however you want to do it. Marv, Caleb, 1-2, Malik Odunze, 3-4. I don't know if Jaden Daniels is a locked-in 102 or Drake May is the locked-in 103. I'm not sure about that. And I do think one of them quarterbacks going to land in New England. And regardless of the cha- regime change, people are going to be like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't know what the hell Gerard Mayo and Alex Van Pelt are going to do. Give me Malik Neighbors. I'll go get Geno Smith later. I'll, I'll get him for cheap, and I'll figure out quarterback later. So let's talk about Brock Bowers to the Jets. I mean, I, I do you really want to talk about neighbors to the Bears? I mean, uh, no, but I think I, I think there's this hive mind right now, and I've been guilty of pushing it. Is that these top seven or six picks? And let's let's assume McCarthy gets the capital too, because I think we both assume that based on what we know right now. How, really, it's very easy in February to sit here and say if I have a top. I mean, hell, we're doing a dispersal auction right now, and look at the prices of the picks that are in the 7, 8, 9 range. There's no discounts. There's excitement for those picks. But I do think if you are a team or you're a manager that has a decent amount of exposure to these picks, I'm starting to get, not that we're overvaluing the picks because we still have two months away from those picks actually having to be used, but I do think that you probably can be, as time gets closer to the draft, you can be a little more flexible with what you're going to be able to take for those picks. And I'll just give you an example, Ray. A month ago, I was saying, if you have a top six pick, there's what? How many players would you accept for one of those picks? 10? 20? Talked about this a little bit last week. It's under 20. Yeah. Does that loosen for you as we get a little bit closer? Not, Not that you can't get a lot for these picks on draft night, but it almost feels if you're sitting on that 104 or 105 and you're not willing to move it unless it's just, I need... X and nobody right. in your league clearly will pay X because you've said you needed X for three months. No one sent you the offer. And then let's say this mock draft plays out. The 105 is going to have options, right? Drake May, Adunze, Brock Bowers, they're all going to be there. But doesn't it feel like, are you going to feel a little burned if your league just makes you make that pick? and you didn't actually budge a little bit on your price. That's kind of what I'm feeling. So I'd have to look through and just see like how much exposure I have to these picks. But I'm actually okay moving these picks as we get closer to the draft, the top six, top eight, for some of these reasons. Because I do think we're starting to get a little fatigue on some of these players and the bluffs being called on the people that have valued these picks so high. And I don't want to skip over Odunze, but the, the conversation I want to have around him is Odunze is the only one of the big three wide receivers who's going to do anything at the Combine. His yep. current draft prop right now for the 40 time is a 4-3-6. Some people think he's going to go sub 4-4. Four, four. At 6'3", 211 pounds. And, and this isn't the first time I've seen Odunze rated or mocked higher than Malik Neighbors. So, in your opinion, anything that he can do this weekend to... And I said this on a... I put a video out. Uh, prediction forecasting how rookie mocks are going to look post-combine. And I had Odunze over neighbors post-combine. Not because I truly believe that, but if he goes out there and puts on the athletic showing that a lot of people expect him to do, uh, there are people who kind of like him a little more than Malik Neighbors. So do you think there's anything? I I think it is a more likely than not situation. Those guys can be interchangeable come draft day for 2-3. Yeah, I think, I mean... If he gets this draft capital, it, it you just add him into that tier. I no more analysis needed. Whether you think he's better or worse than neighbors, he's already in that top twelve for dynasty, if not higher, right away, just based on the draft capital. All so right, we can well, continue forward. I want to talk Bowers to the Jets because yeah, I think that's man. one that Tight people ends. will not like. But when I saw this earlier today, I love it. That, yeah, do, doesn't it fit the I definition of what we were talking about earlier? With number the tight two end. target. Like, they have he walks else. in as the number two target. They don't. It's not like they have besides Brees Hall. It's not like they have a bunch of other peripheral weapons. They got to get. They the have ball nothing. To. So this this feels like one of those where 
you, you almost have to you have to buy into the hype if he goes top ten. I mean, everyone wants him to go to the Chargers. Everyone wants him to go to no. Cincinnati, but it's no. like I I think he struggles in those spots to to generate that ADV excitement right away. Just because even if it's better long term for him, I think this this is probably one of the smash spots where he steps right in and boom, people are like, "Damn, this guy's smashing right away." So I'm excited right about this. One. I yeah. like the spot, and um, you know they're not drafting him to be a damn blocker. Go catch the freaking ball from Aaron Rodgers. So I like this spot for Brock Bowers. We'll scroll down here, and then we get to J.J. McCarthy, who in Mel's mock goes number 12 to the Denver Broncos. Mm. Does this scare you a little bit, one of these guys going to Sean Payton? Everyone's going to like it, but did, did – I don't know, man. Not. It feels like this is. I, it feels like you're you're drafting him for. And I didn't get to talk about this earlier, but I want to mention this at the end of the show too with uh, Jonathan Brooks too. But doesn't it feel like people will immediately push McCarthy over Drake May if these landing spots come true? Just simply the Sean Payton narrative, regardless of what you thought. But can you see that people yeah. just go and give me JJ McCarthy over? Drake May, just based yes. on the fact that he went to Denver. You've been very outspoken about he shouldn't be starting right away. But, again, if he goes to Atlanta, if he goes to Denver, if he goes to Minnesota, are they really going to part to start Jarrett Stidham, Desmond Ritter, or Nick Mullins for that long over a rookie, J.J. McCarthy? I don't know. Feels like he's he's starting by week three or week four here, if not right away. And I, can you answer whether he's ready to handle that? Can he learn on the fly, or does he truly need to sit? That's my question. I'll say this, and it, it seems like from – did you see the chart today about the yes. NFL head coaches, which ones you can approach and which ones you couldn't? All the it's Sean old, Payton near the bottom. <laughs> he's down there with McDaniels and Belichick and Dennis Allen and all the old-school type coaches. I'll just say this. I do think that being tethered to Jim Harbaugh for the last three years has probably helped him prepare. Like just the way that they probably prepare in that in that Michigan offensive quarterback room probably feels a lot like what he would get in the NFL from a play, from a coach like Sean Payton. I think he would be able to handle it. I don't think JJ McCarthy, from what I see from the outside, doesn't strike me as a mentally weak quarterback so I think the the tough love that Sean Payton would would give him I think he'd be able to handle that I, I'm fine with the spot I'm, I'm fine with the spot and I think even with this capital they probably roll Stidham out there for two or three weeks and then it'd be J.J. McCarthy season so this is this would be good but I, I do think there would be people say oh yeah give me give me J.J. at QB2 give me hell Give me J.J. over Jaden Daniels. I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury and the Washington Commanders. I mean, you see a lot of people that have him rated very high, QB1, QB2 in the class. So if you already have that sort of steam behind you and then you get this type of capital on a team that has some offensive weapons, maybe, maybe. So let's move have down the board. Have you seen the, uh, real quick on McCarthy, have you seen the, the pass rate numbers? The first half pass rate numbers comparing McCarthy to the other QBs in to the, the class. Other QBs. Have you those referenced? I sure have. Yeah, I mean he's he's right there with all the others. And then you know, is that a narrative that people have? Because you've asked tons of times, why didn't they just throw the ball if they had a guy that was this good? But then you dive into a little bit deeper. Maybe there is truth to that. They just didn't need to. But in the mm. times where the game was competitive, you know, the first half, it's right there with the other four. Hell, he led. I'm looking at the NFL draft files data. He led. All of those other three quarterbacks between McCarthy, Drake, Daniels, and Caleb, he led all of them in first half pass attempts. Yep. But his Shout volume to, was way lower. Shout out to Brett Whitfield from Fantasy Points. He was the one who initially dove into all of that information that has been circulated across the NFL and fantasy football space. But we got to scroll down. Where are we at? 12. There's not another offensive skill position player coming off of the board until number 26. Tampa Bay Buccaneers select Florida State wide receiver Keon Coleman. Not Xavier Worthy, not Ladd McConkey, not Roman Wilson, not, not any of those guys, not Adonai Mitchell. 
Keon Coleman, who consistently, despite the fact that us in Dynasty, we don't want to draft him too high, ah, Traylon Burks, this or that. I mean, he's been a player that's consistently been mocked in round one across the board. Six foot four, probably going to test really well, going to look really good this weekend. Screw Tampa Bay in the landing spot because uh, I'm just assuming Mike Evans probably goes bag chases. But your thoughts and sentiments on this particular player, knowing that there's already a lot of negative bias on Keon Coleman, is this, let me just say it like this, and I don't mean it from a production stand. Let me get off, let me because I need people to understand. I don't mean this from a production standpoint that he's going to be this player, but is the sentiment around Keon Coleman going to be this is Quentin Johnston 2.0 because what if you drafted Quentin Johnston you literally had no out like the moment you drafted him you were you were just like he's just yours unless unless it was uh, uh my dog Fusu Vu wasn't nobody else trading for him Fusu and my man Damian Parson from Draft Network that's it them the only two people that would take that Quentin Johnston off your hands he goes first round I'm asking you Mr. Process I'm putting you to the test you taking Keon Coleman 108, 109 in a uh in a rookie draft if he gets this type of capital? Uh short answer is I'll probably have very little exposure, but I'll take a couple just because I could be wrong. Uh, but I'm gonna be much more cognizant this year of drafting. I took a lot of Quentin Johnson last year. And you know why I did right? Because I ignored all of that chatter and I figured Justin Herbert will fix it. Period. I believed in the quarterback to just fix it. But then, like you said, no outs. When the quarterback didn't fix it, you're stuck. I mean, does it feel good to have Quentin Johnson on a dynasty team right now? Or are you sitting there going like, man, because here's the problem. Three years ago, I would have told you if Quentin Johnson comes out, looks good in camp, they're pumping him up, you might be able to flip him for 80% of what he was going for last year if he comes out and actually looks like he's improved. But I don't even think that's the case now. I think there's all he's already been buried to a level where even if he's better, he's never going to be what you paid, and there's just going to be very few people that are interested. So I don't think Keon Coleman's to that part or to that point yet. It does feel if there's a receiver here that fits that mold, it's him, to where there's four people in your league that just don't like him. So right there, you've eliminated a third of your market. So do you really want to be drafting that at a higher rate than, I mean, we haven't talked about a couple of these guys, but it feels like the steam for guys right now, everybody but Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey. like there's going to be a ton of options this year that people like, that people are rooting for, and forget about the landing spot. I think the draft capital is going to be similar for a lot of these guys, but it just feels like there's three or four or five other guys that are going to be in the same range that are just universally accepted as I'm rooting for that guy. I want that guy to be good. And like, I want to try to draft more of those than I would the guy that I know people don't really like. So I'd have to go against the process here. I'd probably take a couple second round receivers over him, honestly, uh, even if well, he's the uh, last receiver in the first. So, and, and that's my thinking because we're here at 26. And let's just say he comes off the board at 26, but Roman Wilson is the first pick in the second round. Lad McConkey comes off at 39. What did the team want? What did the team want? They're not all the same. You know, they're all different flavors. So the draft capital is similar to me. And it does, and it does, but but the way that we used to think is, oh, that's the first round wide receiver. You got to take the first round wide receiver. If if Roman Wilson is 34th overall off of the board, I, I mean, you got it. You've got a way. If I draft this guy, and the community is bearish on said player, whomever that player may be, it's got to factor in the problem. We're doing a damn dispersal draft right now, Scott. Quentin Johnson was on the board. I think he cleared for fifteen dollars, fifteen dollars, and a thousand dollar auction budget. People didn't even want him, and just there, you can have him for fifteen bucks. So let's move down the board a little bit more because we have another wide receiver, one that people do like, Brian Thomas Jr. to the Buffalo Bills. It's a good spot. I mean, it, it, it. this would be one of the guys that people yeah. – does he move up into that tier potentially because of the landing spot alone? <laughs> Is he a clear 109 in this case? Like I, not, not even close? It, it, does anyone consider a running back over him or is it just locked and loaded? Because he's already, I think, the wide receiver four for 
a chunk of me. the community. He is from yeah. me. And then all of a sudden he goes to the Buffalo Bills. Now, let me ask you this. It says right there, Gabe Davis likely to sign in for the agency. I think you're going to probably see, and I'm excited to see where all these guys end up landing, but I think you're going to see a team like Tampa Bay. I wouldn't be shocked if they bring in a Gabe Davis, an MVS. Dallas and Cowboys. draft Keon Coleman. Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Sign me up for Gabe Davis in Dallas. Sign me up. Okay. So Brian Thomas to the Bills. Does that represent maybe a little bit of fate landing spot ADV just simply of because course. of the team and the quarterback? And then, like, you're, I, I'm comparing him to, I know you like this player, I like this player. With that landing spot right there at the 109, Brian Thomas or George Pickens? Now you know both their situations. One is, I don't know what the hell Pittsburgh's doing. The other one is... Josh Allen's big physical deep threat with Diggs where he is. You know what I mean? Like what? Yeah, that's, is that's, it, the is, shot, it, is that's, it Thomas? Is it Thomas? Probably unless you've got a nut that just loves Pickens. I think people are going to look at that Pittsburgh situation. It's Arthur Smith. He couldn't get Drake London the ball. You think, you think he's going to get the ball to, to George Pickens with Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph who they're pumping up. Probably Brian Thomas jr. And Arthur Smith, one of the young guys that was on that very bottom of that list, if you know. Yes, he was. Yes, yes. He was, he was down there with all the old heads. With, the, like, with, the, with the stubborn ass coaches. Yes. All right. We got another, probably the biggest ADV spot that you'll see. And what happens, and it's in every mock, and I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of this player to this team. Y'all know who it is. Xavier Worthy out of Texas, the Kansas City Chiefs. Ugh. It's very Brian Thomas sex, but I'm torn on Xavier Worthy. I, I'm I'm higher on Worthy than I think most. Whenever I've been there, I'm taking him at wide receiver five. I think he's got a a trait. He's got the speed that you. There's really nobody else in the draft in this range that has it. But then there's all these other knocks. But I. This will be one where I'd be kind of pissed because I'm probably not getting a lot of them because you're going to have to probably move up to get them. If you're not at that 109, 110, this is just going to be like Brian Thomas. The ADV is going to be out the roof, but I'm going to be probably more interested in the guys that didn't make the screen. Some of the well, second-round receivers well, that go in different spots. Really quickly, and let's do this. we got a, got a couple of minutes left on the show, so let's talk about some of the guys that did not make Mel Kuyper's first round, and the first player that I do want to talk about, Scott, is this guy. Just talk about your expectations for Lad McConkey and one of the comps that was tossed out there for McConkey today. I saw it with Mina Kimes and Mike Renner. What was the comparison for old Lad? It was, and it's a good interview. Check it out. It was uh, Mike Renner just flat out said this guy is the only guy he reminds him of is Antonio Brown, which. That perks your ears up because that's not your typical comp, right, Ray? Ooh, He's a, no. He is a yeah. – most people's perception of Ladd McConkey is he is a white slot receiver. Hell, when you interviewed him, he compared himself to Cooper Cup. But so, Renner basically said Antonio Brown, and he also said the big thing was he's an outside receiver, can play everywhere, and can stop better than any receiver in the class. So that, that perks my ears up to where – Let's say he goes mid-second round to an intriguing spot. I don't know. Pick one. Pick one that needs a receiver. Are you then considering him over the likes of Xavier Worthy to the Chiefs? Over the, You know what I mean? Or is it just a product of I'm willing to pick in that 109 to 204 range, and I'm okay with the 202, 203, 204, because okay. that's where I'm going to get guys like Ladd. I'll say this. League economy. If it's the league that we made those big trades in where it's not a ton of activity, I'm taking Ladd McConkey. I need the player that's probably going to score me who I think may score me more points. If it's Fair. in a different league where people are thirsting for that wide receiver from Kansas City and they're losing their mind because he's the next Tyreek Hill, I would take Xavier Worthy for the ADV and I would try to flip because in that league, I probably can use that Worthy to get Ladd McConkey and something else. So that's how I would probably approach it. 
And I, I love how people don't want to comp Ladd to a white receiver. So we go to the furthest extreme in the other <laughs> direction. And instead of Cooper Cup, we go off the wall with Antonio Brown. But let's let's just uh, continue the wide receiver theme quickly and talk about a player that you and I are very much in on. And by all accounts, Prospects has his 40 time at a 4.32. And people are telling me, take the less on this one. There are speculations and rumors he might break the short shuttle record. He's been timed at a 377, according to Michigan. Roman Wilson, and I have been very outspoken. He is my wide receiver five in this class. And later this evening, after this uh, stream is done, I'll be posting my top 10 wide receivers going into the weekend. He is my wide receiver four. Very reminiscent play style game, in my opinion, to the way that the Detroit Lions use Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, you've got Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl and a lot of people right now comping him to Tyler Lockett. Talk to me about Roman Wilson. I mean, what do we say in our uh, best ball drafts? We're trying to get as much of Roman Wilson as we can now before Correct. Saturday. Because you think there's a chance Roman Wilson cracks the first round, right? If he goes out and yes. does everything everyone's Absolutely. saying. That he's, Absolutely. He is the, he is the Xavier-worthy spot. Absolutely. Now it is... If he's the one in Xavier Worthy spot, does that since you already have him at wide receiver five, does that push him up into the I don't want to say he's up in the Adunze neighbors range, no. but is it is it right there on the fringe of that? 108, 109? He's a first round pick. 108, 109. If he falls to a at you at one, yes. If he goes to can't here's the thing. I still Does he compliment Rasheed Rice? Yeah. So you think that like that pairing would work? Mm-hmm. I do. And continue. I I just I truly wonder if Mahomes is that type of quarterback, like where he's going to hyper target just one receiver, or is he just the type that could spray spray the ball wherever he wants? I don't know. We've only seen him kind of do it with Tyreek and and Kelsey for a little bit, and then once Tyreek left, it's just been Kelsey and a bunch of. I guess I just need to see him with somebody. Like, seems like he developed that trust with Rasheed Rice. I, I don't know. I just I've been excited for the Chiefs' landing spot for all kinds of players for a long time, and it hasn't really worked out. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this: Can you remember a player from? I mean, obviously Michigan was on this biggest stage, won the Natty. He went to the Senior Bowl, smashed. Like you can see the progression of why people are more excited. And he's also, I think, protected by the fact that the college production wasn't there, but it's it's already excused away. Correct. For a lot of people. So they're just gonna say, Well, you know, it wasn't there for this reason and we're gonna excuse it away. Kind of the same thing with McCarthy that we were talking about. Can you remember Correct. though a receiver? If we would have ranked our top 20 receivers in the class in December, Ray, a lot of lists wouldn't even have him on there. No. And now we're talking about wide receiver four, wide receiver five. Like, can you remember a meteoric rise of a prospect this fast in a two-month period? And it's not it's not that you're the highest on him. Like you're it's almost consensus now that like he's gonna get good draft capital. There's, it's almost like he's a bulletproof prospect. And I just can't remember a player going from almost an afterthought to, oh, yeah, he's always been a nice player. Let's see what he can do at the Senior Bowl. Let's see what he can do well, at the he, Combine, too. Holy shit, this is one of the dudes that we're, you know, he, he's in the mix with all the names we've been talking about for months. Nico Collins happened at the at the right time for Roman Wilson. I'm just going to throw this player on the screen. I think Jalen Polk, the wide receiver out of Washington, is going to have a nice weekend and start to rise up the draft boards for a lot of people, as well as a player that we've been talking about and we've been taking a lot of in FFPC, Texas tight end Jatavion Sanders. I think he's going to perform really well. And then you've got everybody's favorite sleeper running back that's not a sleeper anymore. And I, I said this in the mock draft video I think there's a chance that people put this kid at RB1 after this weekend, and that's Tennessee running back Jalen Wright, 5'10", 215 pounds. His 40-yard dash projection on prize picks is a 4-3-1. If he goes out there and runs 4-3 at 5'10", 210-plus pounds, 
I, I think a lot of people will be ready to crown him RB1. But we're going to end the show talking about somebody that you mentioned a little while ago. And he is sort of the consensus RB1 for a lot of folks. And that is Jonathan Brooks, the redshirt sophomore out of Texas. So you said you had something that you wanted to say about Jonathan Brooks. He is currently my RB1. I don't believe he's going to test. I don't know why there are 40 times up for Jonathan Brooks towards ACL in December. Talk to me about Jonathan Brooks before we wrap up. Well, part of it is this running back class is very hard to diagnose at this point. It's all over the map. You would agree with that. I don't think yes. any of them are going to get elite capital, which means any of the old models of, well, this guy was a day two pick. or I mean, I yep. think we can throw all of that out. Yep. We're going to see almost all the running backs going from like round three to round six. And it's now on you to decipher the scheme, the landing spot, the opportunity, all of that. So our rankings could go from right here to totally flipped around. I mean, we've been sporadically drafting almost all of them, but a lot of those may end up being wasted picks and some of them could smash, you know, it's literally a coin flip. But one of my things about Brooks that I've been kind of thinking about a little bit more Let's assume now I heard something yesterday about how he's clear. He's supposedly like going to be cleared for like summer workouts. Like it's, it, it's not going to be one of these, all oh, he's going to red shirt this year. Like there's okay. a chance we see him like in the preseason. Okay. But let's say that doesn't happen. I think that's a little ambitious, that's right? That's, to, a, that's aggressive. Say, yeah. Yeah. To say a guy that, you know, tore his ACL. When did he tear it? Was it end it of November late, or uh, December? Uh, I think it was November. Before the pack, it was, okay, it was, yeah, it was long before, before the big, the big championship. Yes, long yes. before that. He missed like four, four or five ga four games at the end. Yeah. Okay. So let's assume we do not get this full clearance declaration. Do you think there's actually going to be, because one theme we've noticed with these running backs, when they do not have a role right away, they become afterthoughts very quickly because there's another running back ready to replace them. Do you think there's a little built-in like job security with Jonathan Brooks from an ADV standpoint? Simply because like what he does in year one is going to have an excuse already an excuse. built in versus if Blake Corum only has 400 yards as a rookie, see ya. Wasn't good enough. Jonathan Brooks, man, you know, he just doesn't look right. But year two, I'm going to be excited. So I'm starting to think about maybe he is the one. I don't want to draft them. I think where other people may but I'm going to be more interested than I typically would be on a running back coming off a torn ACL. Because normally I'd be like, torn ACL running back, any running back on a 53, yeah. why would I pay a mid-second for this dude? But I actually think the community may forgive him for a Kendra Miller rookie year, more so than they forgave Kendra Miller, because they're like, Kendra just couldn't stay healthy during the season. Jonathan right. Brooks might be healthy but doesn't produce. Ah, but he's had that. he had that ACL. Just wait till next year. So I, th I think he adds, brings nice. more ADV than other running backs. So that's the point I wanted to make. It's uh, actually a really good point, Scott. And we got a couple. Uh, we got one super chat here um, from Matt Glore. Shout out to Matt. Appreciate you, man. Um, he said, uh, "Appreciate the content, channel uh, gentlemen. Love the content. Thank you." One QB, twelve team PPR. I trade Deshaun Watson, Roshan Johnson, and a twenty twenty six second round pick for Justin Fields. And Traylon Burks or Josh Palmer? Are, are you trading Deshaun Watson and Roshan yes. Johnson in a 26 second for Fields and Burks? Yeah, and a one, isn't it one QB? You're just one looking QB. for the, you're looking yeah. for crooked numbers, right? And that's not Deshaun yep. Watson. That's probably much more likely Justin Fields. So smash that Correct. deal. There it is. Appreciate everybody being in the stream tonight, uh, checking out us on Destination Chill. If you were not here at the beginning of the episode, Scott and I announced that we will be doing this show twice a week. So make sure you tap in with us Sunday. It'll be a little earlier than this time. We're probably going to go live 7 p.m. Eastern time. Don't hold me to it, but I promise you we will have that up and loaded early Sunday morning. Make sure you're following us. It'll be on the channel, but we'll be here on Sunday and we'll have a combine recap, Scott, and maybe... Maybe do a little uh, rookie mock draft. Maybe go a couple of rounds and just dive into it based on what happened at the Combine and how we think the community will react moving forward. As I said at the start of the show, later on this evening, I will be releasing my top 10 wide receivers going into the Combine. And if you are a patron at Destination Debbie, which you should be, and if you're not, go to patreon.com forward slash all gas. I'll be in the group 
here in a little bit to uh, have a little AMA, talk about some of these combine props. Appreciate everybody being in the building. Thank y'all for being here. And if you can, for us, for the community, for the channel, hit that thumbs up button, like the content, comment below. Hey, enjoy yourself this weekend and make sure you tap in. I'm streaming the Saturday draft, uh, Saturday combine live all Saturday for the running backs, the wide receivers and the quarterbacks. Destination Debbie has you covered. So make sure you pop in, tap in with us. Scott, anything you want to say to people before we get out of here, my friend? Nope. Just uh, do everything Ray said and uh, jump into the Discord if you're not already in there. The AMAs, the bonus content that comes out on there. Uh, we just get a fraction of it here. So there's a ton more over there. So appreciate it. Good show tonight. All right. That's it. Thank you. Have a good night.